As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Ben. Yeah? We've got a sponsor this season. We How have. exciting. It's brilliant. And, but it, the main thing is this is a sponsor that really is everything that we're about, right? You've had first-hand experience. I have indeed. Fiona Lam uh, was introduced to me two years ago. She helped me open my mind through hypnotherapy to find a relationship. And she's helped my, my, my she's changed my life. And she's brought out a brand new Mind Detox app, which helps you meditate. And I couldn't be prouder and happier to have it on board. Oh, it's a perfect fit. And if you want to download that app, you can go on to the App Store and Google Play. It's called Mind Detox, and the, the values are in line with us. It's happiness, love, and fun. Check it out. Hello, and welcome to the Naked Professors podcast. It's Ben on my own. Matt is away in the sunshine having a lovely time, but the show must go on, and we're rolling on from the last episode with Dr. David Hamilton. If you haven't heard the last episode, then I'd recommend just checking that out quickly before you join into this one, and then everything will make a lot more sense. We'll go straight in, because the conversation is going to flow. David is an incredible, intelligent, just beautiful human being. Check out what we get into in this second episode. So we're back for round two, but I say we, uh, we've lost one, because schedules are busy, and uh, David lives up in Scotland, Matt and I are all over the place, so we've got David back but we've lost Matt um, but that's a privilege for me because I, I get to hog David and all the information inside his head um, and uh, yeah we're going to try and continue from, from where we left off because you are just, we, uh, Matt and I were just we, we loved that conversation and it was kind of we both felt all a bit heartfelt sort of real sadness when uh, yeah, we didn't quite finish it off yeah me too I really I, I couldn't believe that the time had passed so quickly yeah yeah yeah, so I'm, I'm so glad to be back then. Well, it's a pleasure, it's a pleasure. Mm. Um, now, I wanted to kind of flow on, flow into the second one. What I really want to try and get into, though, is, you know, you are the, the this massive, huge source of information around the science of how our mind-body connection works. Mm. And what I really want to bring that alive to is, is mental health, because that's a kind of a, such a core overriding subject, I guess. And, and we can get lost in... in 
so many of the intricacies of all this stuff and i want to fundamentally understand how we can look after our minds to to make ourselves mm. feel better fundamentally yeah um so where's where's a good place to start on that because is it, is it do we talk about the mind body connection do we talk about how impactful our mind is on on on, on our body um is that what do you because it's such yeah, a broad subject isn't it if, if you're looking at you know mental health if you like then that I think most people's attention is on the brain. And so even when you look at pharmaceutical drugs, it's all about fiddling around with the chemistry of the brain. But there's a number of of things, uh, practices, I guess, that have been shown to be helpful for things like anxiety, things like stress and worry and, e- and even even depression. And, and one of them that you know, I've written a lot about this subject is kindness. And there's a lot of research that shows that consistency in being kind has long-term effects and, and reduces the risk of mild to moderate depression. And, and when I say reduces the risk, it means for some people, depression can be a consequence of things happening, situations changing in life. And so what, what happens when you're making kindness something that you do intentionally on a consistent basis is, is two things happen. One research shows that it builds resilience. So it, it takes the sting out of some of the, the, I guess, the challenging events in our lives. But the second thing, and I think this is even more important, is just in the moment when you're considering the well-being and the needs of another person, it takes you out of yourself just for a moment. And why is that healthy? Why is coming out of ourselves healthy? Because we're taking our attention away from how bad we feel yeah. in that moment. And I can speak from experience. I, I struggled with depression a number of years ago. It was 1998-ish for a period of, period of about six months. Uh, and so I had the experience of finding it very difficult to get out of myself. And when I say get out of myself, that's really what I mean. Finding it difficult to get out of my thought patterns and to get out of how really damn rubbish I felt and I just couldn't seem to get out of this it felt like a a, a, black, a dark cloud that I was carrying around that I was the dark cloud mm-hmm. and and so so I, I find research shows and suggests certainly that when even temporarily in the moment when you're helping someone you take yourself out of yourself because your attention goes on to the needs and the well-being of that person and just for that moment it suspends your focus on how you feel. And you get this little bit of hope because the connection that you get with the person gives you that little bit of sunshine, mm. even if it's just for a moment or two. But on a consistent basis, what it does more consistently is it introduces more sunshine and that seems to burn away some of the clouds. Mm. The way I see it is that we've got this inner energy, kind of, I call it our, you know, heart or soul, and um, that fundamentally wants us to be kind it wants us to be to be nice yeah. to people that's what it craves and yeah. it's our ego that takes us away from that space but you know that that's that i know that's true because when i am kind to someone if i helped let's say an old lady across the road or you know i help someone carry their bags up the tube thing or something like that that mm. in that moment after i've just done that even if no one was watching or nothing you know no one saw it i didn't wasn't on instagram or anything else it was just an act that i did I feel a sense of pride about myself. Mm. I'm like, oh yes, I, I, I'm happy with who I yeah, am. Yeah. I'm just happy, and that from, this is for me is how we build self love, which is, is the ultimate mental health stimulant, right? If you mm. want healthy mental love yourself, exactly. 
Does it yeah. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's almost as if you get in a, you get into a light, into alignment with yourself. Yes, alignment. Right? is such a big yeah, word. Into alignment with who you actually are at, at a deep core level. Yes. And then that you literally saying, "This is who I am. This is what I am. This is who I am." And and as you go into that type of alignment, then you 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 start to build self esteem from the inside out. You know, or self love from the inside out. And it's missed that, I think, isn't yeah. it? Because I don't, I don't, I think so much of we get so confused with self love in terms of actually doing things that that feed us in the moment, mm. that give us a moment of happiness. It feels good. It will taste great in that moment, mm. or it makes us laugh in that moment. Does it make us proud? Mm. Does it? You know, and, and that's that's a big distinguish distinguishing thing that I've tried to do when I do more things that make me proud mm. rather than happy in the moment. Mm, that's lovely. I like that. Yeah, it's it's and and so. Can we always say that kindness in that respect is, is, I mean, it's not the right word, but maybe it is the right word and we have the wrong understanding of it, but it's a selfish act in that respect mm. because it makes you feel good yeah. and kind to other people. Yeah. And we miss that as well, don't we? Yeah, we miss it. And, and the reason why it makes you feel good, it's that's nature's reward. It's nature's reward because we are genetically wired to be kind. I mean, I would say on a spiritual level, it's who we are. But even on a physical level, genetically, uh, we have genes which predispose us towards kind behaviour. Uh, and one, one of those genes we know for a fact is one of the oldest in the human genome. It's 500 million years old and four and a half days. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's 500 million years old, you know, give or take a few million years kind of thing. But, but that predisposes us to have compassionate and kind nature, to, to look after each other, to, to want to bond and connect with each other, to want to interact, to want to help each other. It, it predisposes parents to, to want to look after their children. Mm. So we have part of our deepest physical nature is to care. But I would say on a spiritual level, the same is also true. It's who it's actually what who and what we actually are. So if we're inherently uh, designed to be kind and we're not being kind, then we're not aligned. Yeah, absolutely. In simple language. It's sim- in simple language. And if we're not aligned, we're not going to love ourselves. No. You, to love yourself, you've got to be aligned, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. and the, for me, that starts with actually knowing, getting to know your deepest values. So getting to know that you love kindness. Yeah. Uh, and then when you know what your deepest values are, you can start doing things, even if they're challenging. Yeah. You know, you can start doing them because you know they serve you well in in the long run. Yeah. Um, whereas I think we live in a society that rewards instant gratification. It's always trying to do, you know, even the term YOLO, is it YOLO or YOLO, whatever it is. Mm. You know, you only live once and people think, right, God, I've got to do this. I'm meant to be happy. I've got to do all these things immediately. Right, I'm going to go and get drunk or right, I'm going to go and do this because I only get one crack at this. And mm. And it's almost the op- it's the ro- it's totally wrong. It's we need to do the opposite of that. Mm. Don't do what more. It's it's hard because I think this, the challenge of this is Eckhart Tolle, obviously the power of now, and people take all this stuff right right now. What what makes me happy? Mm. And actually, for me, it's not. It's it's what makes you proud. Mm. That will serve you. That will serve your deep love. That will serve you your self esteem. That will make you proud of who you are. Mm. And that, that that's that's alignment. Yeah. Absolutely. And it creates that drive to continue those types of behaviours that make you proud of yourself, make you proud to be this type of person. Mm. You know, I, I would say I, I probably, until this this conversation, I, I don't think I realised that I probably do feel the same often when I, when I try to help people. You know, I, I feel momentarily, and, and it's easy to say, well, that, that's quite selfish, you're getting something out of it. But again, we're genetically wired. You can't escape the fact that it feels good. So so rather than getting caught up in an academic dialogue about whether kindness is, is it really altruism or is it is it selfishness? There's so much academic debate about that. And I just sidestep it altogether. 
And I'll say, look, you naturally feel good. It's nature's reward. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. And as a side so. effect, you don't overthink it. As a side effect, you probably feel quite proud of yourself yeah. for the type of person that you've managed to become and the type of person you're working at becoming more of. And it's okay. It's good to feel proud of yourself. Mm, it's essential, yeah. I would say. I'd say it's at the root cause of so many mental health challenges mm. is if we're not proud of ourselves, we don't love who we are then we're gonna, there's going to be some pretty destructive behaviour to follow because yeah. we're going to go chasing things that do fill us up in the moment yeah. that then don't serve us deeply afterwards. Yeah. And we're in this constant chase. Yeah. Um, but that's what society points us with. For me, it's, I mean, without going too deep into this, it's the capitalist world that wants us to consume and to, to get to buy these things. Yes. Whereas we're talking about actually all of this happiness exists by mm. being, for example, kind to other people mm. and feel proud of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm. simple as that then isn't it yeah simple <laughs> as that don't overthink it <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true yeah, yeah. isn't it it's so true but the challenge is, is that going back to all this is that society doesn't show us that no one's ever taught me apart from your books but at school level no one ever taught me that kindness was good for me no me neither no yeah but, but it, it's fundamental mm. and what I was taught was get, get a nice house and that'll make me happy yeah which yeah. doesn't really help yeah I, I, I've spoken to kids in about a, a small number of schools Usually because I know someone who works in that school or, you know, I've got a friend who's a teacher or something and I, and I find myself going into, recently I've gone into a few schools and, and spoken to kids just for like 15, 20 minutes about kindness. Uh, but it's usually because the teachers have decided to educate the children in kindness so they're running like a kindness project for a, a, a finite period of time. So the kids are, are being immersed in what kindness is. And I remember the last time I did it, very recently, I walked into the classroom uh, and the kids were talking about what they'd done and they'd, you know, open doors. People were open, kids were opening doors for me when I was walking down the corridor. Uh, and one kid made me laugh when it said, when she said, I decided not to hit my friend <laughs> when they were, you know, messing around, you yeah. know, and one person was getting frustrated and I decided not to, to hit them back. So and I thought that was just really sweet. But yeah. it, it's nice that the kids are aware of, of kindness and thinking about it. Yeah, totally. So do you have a checklist for yourself to be to be kind? Or is it something that you naturally kind of, you know, you open your heart, your heart, your heart and your eyes to, to being kind? How can I help people? And things come up for you all the time. Yeah, it's more for me just about uh, allowing myself to notice opportunities as they arise mm. for me. And that, that's pretty much it. So uh, what sort of things come up for you? Can you, can you, how do you, how are you kind? Uh, how on does a deal help you? Well, I, I left, you on the spot now, haven't I? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Do you know what? I, I tend not even to think about it. <laughs> no, I just, I get can't, it. I just I know. you know, you just make it your way. Let me try and think. It's a harsh question because I don't know how I'd answer it, but I like yeah. to think I'm kind. Well, this morning I gave a couple of my books to the person at reception at the hotel. And that's punishment, but, not kind. And that's isn't punishment, it? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only because they seemed interested in them, so I left a few of the books. No, no. And, I, and I found myself making an effort to be polite and gentle with them. I think people. People certainly in service, customer service and things. I think it's nice to be nice to them because because uh, what I'd seen the day before is some customers were quite upset with them. So I made an extra effort just to be gentle. Nice. And, and that's one of the reasons that motivated me to, to leave a few books. Just using gentle language, yeah, yeah. kind language. Yeah, and, and then I popped into my publisher's office today on the way here because I had to quickly catch up with, with the MD of the company of Hay House. And, and I just went over and said hello to a few people uh, and just general, just trying to be nice, mm. really. But but not. I mean, every day we don't have to be looking for something significant. You know, people often say to me, you know, what should I do 
to to demonstrate kindness and it's not really about making a big change in someone's life it's the accumulation of the tiny little things that you do that actually matters most in the long term i hear you on that and i get one one fundamental shift that i i I don't know if I've, I've always been I've always been this thing, but one thing I feel compelled to share basically is is being interested for me. You know, we live in a society where everyone wants to sort of everyone wants to talk all the time. Everyone wants to make it about them almost. It's quite an ego driven. You know, validate themselves and just sitting in a space and not making it about you, but but wanting to get under the surface of someone else, find out really how they are. Yeah. You know, and ask asking how people are. Absolutely. I'm sitting listening, how was your day? And actually yeah. being interested in it and yeah. curious. That lifts them up, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. And you create an energy between yeah. you. Rather than sort of as they walk in, you don't even you know, you don't flinch from your phone, just sort of how's your day without even listening and that doesn't make them feel special, does it? Yeah. And that breaks the connection absolutely. itself. Yeah. I think being interested is such an undervalued tool. Yeah. People you just by asking questions you can create kindness yeah absolutely and it's such a tiny it, it, it seem, it's a seemingly tiny thing but what oftentimes acts of kindness that seem small to you are more significant to the other person than they are to you mm. and that's a good thing to remember mm. because even if it doesn't feel that much to you that that's good because it means you can do it more often mm. but all these little things create really important moments for other people and if you do them to them and then they, they appreciate it, then they do them to, to more people. Yeah, and that's the ripple effect. In fact, right? here's a really cool bit of research. A scientist at Harvard and Yale, uh, led by a, a professor called Nicholas Christakis and another called James Fowler, they did some really clever research when they found that most of the time when you do an act of kindness, it creates a ripple that goes out to what's called three degrees of separation, meaning three social steps. Now, what that means is... When you do something kind for someone, what, regardless of what it is, now, most of us don't, what we don't do is we say, right, I've just helped that person. I'm going to follow them around the rest of the day and see how it's affected their lives, right? We don't do that, of no. course. Yeah. <laughs> but if you did, what you, would pro- what you would then find is that person will likely be kind or kinder to someone else over the course of the rest of the day simply because of how you made them feel in that moment. That's at one that's at one degree of separation from you, one social step from you. But the person who receives that kindness will be kind or kinder to someone else. And that's at two degrees of separation or two social steps. But that person will be kind or kinder to someone else. And that's at three degrees of separation, three social steps. But this is where it gets really interesting. Because given the average degree of interaction that people have, average, in a typical person in the Western world, if you help someone... Because of how you made that person feel, given the average amount of interaction, typically, statistically, we have, that person will likely be kind or kinder to five people over the course of the rest of the day because you of how you made them feel. But e- that's at one social step, one degree of separation from you. But each of those five will be kind or kinder to five further people. And then each of those five will be kind or kinder to five further people. And what you actually get... It's about 125 people benefit from an act of kindness, even if it was just asking someone about their day. And I put it to us that that we don't realise that's the effect we're having. So every if, if, if a person ever feels small, anyone listening right now, if you ever feel small, if you ever feel that 
you're not contributing, you're not making a difference. Damn it, you actually, you absolutely are. Every single time you make an effort just to be there for someone, just to do a little bit of kindness, you set in motion this amazing ripple effect that on average goes out to 125 people, give or take a few. Isn't that incredible? Isn't incredible, yeah. We can all change the world. Yeah, and we're doing it every day. We just don't notice that we're doing it. Mm. And, And the reason why I often point this out is it just encourages us to become more aware of what we're doing and, and how we're being and then do it a little bit more. Yeah. Intentionally. Yeah. Wow, I absolutely love that. That's so beautiful, isn't it? And it also just, just shows me that it tells me just to keep showing up, keep being me, yeah. you know, and, and you can make that difference. Yeah. Just just be kind. Just by being kind. Yeah. It's really lovely. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Really, oh, that's, that's is that is that kind of your one of your core philosophies around kindness that that it, it makes you feel good about yourself and the ripple effect. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know you're so great at kindness. It's, yeah, and for me, one of my my I guess philosophies is I feel it's important for me to share with other people all the scientific evidence of kindness because if I don't do it, you know, there's not very many other people doing it. So uh, what I want to do is give add to the dialogue about kindness and if I share some information evidence of it it gets people talking about it more aware of it and if they put little strategies into place it makes everyone's life a little bit better not just the person being kind but it makes life better for all the people who receive that person's kindness and I find that the more we talk about kindness the more I go out and give talks on it the more kind people become and that's benefiting all the people in their lives and all the people that they interact with even if it's just in a tiny little way and, and and I guess maybe coming back to the proud, I hadn't really thought about it until we started this conversation. But I guess that makes me feel quite proud of what I'm doing, even if even when there are times when it doesn't work, and even if there are times when my attempt to be kind backfires or doesn't really work out the way I want. But it it, it doesn't. It sh- you shouldn't let that stop you being the kind of person that you need to be. So how can kindness backfire? Uh, Taken advantage of? Yeah, well, you you could you could be trying to be kind to someone, but maybe they don't want your kindness. Mm. They don't want that interaction, for mm. example. And then maybe the act of kindness is to to refrain from from doing that. If if, for example, a person doesn't want you to interact with them, mm. even doesn't want you in their life, then that the act of kindness for that person to that person, even if it's hard, is to to stay away. Mm. Is to so being kind is actually you know, turning left instead of going straight ahead. Something, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, I think that's probably relevant to quite a lot of people. Mm. You know, because so, not know, not everyone wants your kindness. No, and that's hard. And then you and think, that, screw, screw you. Then I don't want to bother being kind. Yeah, and so it's a learning process in life. And just, you know, Ben, I think a lot of us are just stumbling in the dark, mm. and we're just learning all the time. I'm always learning. You know, I'm continually challenged uh, in life and circumstances where I'm having to learn more about myself, but I'm also having to learn about how things work and how I am and and the in, and how that impacts on other people. And, and I think life is just a continual journey of learning. And, and I think if we accept that that's how it is, then we don't resist it as much. And that's one of the things I'm still working on, actually, is, is not resisting learning as I'm going, and not, you know, not ever for a moment thinking that I know how it all works. Because the moment you start thinking you know how it all works, you, 
for me, I almost always, the universe shows me, no, you don't. And I'm just going to show you why you don't. (laughs) Here is a whopper of a situation. (laughs) Deal with it. And let's see how smart you are. I'm joking aside, but but that seems to be how things work often. So I, I try to develop a wee bit of humility. If that's coming from Dr. David Hamilton, author of 10 books and, you know, leading uh, science, scientific voice behind all this stuff, and he's still learning, then I, I'm all, I always say this, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried by the people who think they've got, got it figured out because you know they're the ones who haven't. Yeah. You know, but this journey never ends. And it's, it's, I love to hear that from because yeah. yeah, I don't know anyone who, who really is on this journey who would say it otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's beautiful too because there's still more to come. Yeah, you know, yeah. lots um, more. Yeah, lots more. Yeah. It never ends. And um, so kindness is is at the core of this. Um, I want to bring bring to light other ways that that our mind can control our body. Yeah, yeah. There's a really simple way because if they're still skeptics, which hopefully I don't think there will be, but if there are, um, I love to try and speak to the average person to try and make this relatable. And in the very simple way that we can bring this alive, the mind body connection is sex, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, our body reacts yeah. physically when we have thoughts of a sexual nature. Yeah. So if if that's the case for sex, then it's the case for, we can apply that in everyday life all the time. If we're having sexual exactly. thoughts, we have sexual reactions. If we have bad thoughts, well, we're going to have not such positive energy inside yeah, of us. absolutely. And for me, that, you know, anxiety or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a very simple, simple way of understanding it. Yeah, I, I use that as an example. I use that, the sex example, actually, in... Uh, a workshop once where right at the start a, a, a guy had turned up I think he was there with his wife who dragged him along to one of my workshops on titled How Your Mind Can Heal Your Body and I just think he wanted to show right from the start how clever he was and that he didn't agree with all of this woo-woo stuff. I think he didn't really know anything about the subject that I was about to speak on, nor did he really know anything about my background. So he just assumed that because his wife's into this kind of stuff, that it's a complete pile of crap. So as I began to talk about the placebo effect, he just asserted his authority right at the start that this is all a pile of crap and I'm well qualified and this is absolute rub. There's no such thing as a mind-body connection. And I drew his attention to... a. I said, is anything, does anything physical happen in your body when you entertain in your mind a sexual fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> and he just stopped for a moment, <laughs> face flushed a little bit. Well, that's that as well. And that as well. That, that was a real demonstration of it. But in that moment when you realise that it's your thoughts of a sexual nature, when you imagine X, Y or Z thing, that you immediately get a physiological change in the body, which incidentally it is is activation of enzymes and production of a substance called nitric oxide, all of which is actually being produced because of where your mind is in that moment. So you're switching on enzymes, a nitric oxide synthase, for example, and your gen- which generates nitric oxide, which increases blood flow, it changes, it changes blood volume, it increases the, the width, the, I guess the dilation of arteries and stuff so all of that happens because of your mind what you're doing with your mind and so if if we are in a, in a situation where we think we should be sexually turned on but we're not it's because our mind is elsewhere is that is it simple to say is that it, it it can be i don't think it's always quite as black and white and when i when i say quite as black and white it, it is entirely possible for many people to have you know trapped emotion Okay. I mean, emo- emotion isn't just 
a feeling. Emotion is built of, is made of four components. There's a feeling of the emotion. There's the brain chemistry that coincides with it, uh, which which also is part of the body chemistry of that emotion. But there's also the impact on the nervous system and the impact on the muscles. So emotion is really smeared all over and throughout the body. So I, I believe emotion can lodge in different parts and systems. I mean, here, here's a good example, right? And this is by no means a, an absolute generalization to all things. But there's some research that found that the thickness of some tumours was correlated with personality type. And they found that tumours, some tumours were thickest in women who were of a type C personality, a, who were a cooperative, unassertive, and suppresses negative emotion. And they found that that correlation was so strong that they could actually predict uh, the progression of a person's cancer based on their personality type. Uh, and what that and a body of research, similar research, shows that emotion really can kind of lodge. I mean, j- just, like a, just like you can get caught in a mental pattern, if the mind and the body are mirroring each other, then it's quite entirely possible. If you can get locked in a little mental knot, which we're all aware of, we get stuck in a little loop in our head, then it makes sense to me that we get there's a little physical loop stuck somewhere. And fortunately, there's a lot of research into how to release these emotions. I mean, things like trauma, there's things like EMDR, which is an eye, rapid eye movement thing. But on a very practical and easy level, the best technique I've, I've found uh, is... It led, developed by a professor called James Pennybaker who wrote a book on it called Expressive Writing. And he found, he did this lots of times in different scenarios, that if you just take a piece of paper and a pen or, or type it on your phone or whatever and write continually for about 15 or 20 minutes about how you feel on four consecutive days, basically what you do is you write down what happened or what's on your mind, what, what happened, how you felt at that time, how you feel about it now, how it's affected your life. And just write anything that comes to mind, get it all to use as colourful language as you want, and do that for four consecutive days. And what they found is massive changes in the internal condition of the body, including ramping up of immune function. Uh, people doing that even it had a reversal or a reduction in symptoms of things like rheumatoid arthritis. Autoimmune conditions were having a positive effect. All of these physical things, what we thought were purely physical things, seem to be affected by expression of blocked emotion. Even progression of cancer in some patients affected by the the blockage of emotion. And once that's expressed out, it's like just like you get rid of a mental loop in your head when you make peace with something so the emotional counterpart of that seems to flow away as well. Wow. So that's a simple example of how negative trapped emotions can absolutely, be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and why it's so important for us to feel. Yeah, exactly why it's important to feel. Because if we don't allow ourselves to feel, then th- these emotions in our head that just get kind of stuck there, we push them down. We're not just pushing them down into our mind. Sometimes we're also pushing them down into the body. It might be entirely harmless or it might not be. For some people, it might not be entirely harmless and there might be a physical consequence of that that might emerge now or some other time so it's always healthy to get the emotions particularly if they're painful ones it's always healthy to get them out better out than in and is it so is the list of of challenges that can occur from if we bury emotions if we don't connect with them is it endless or are there specific things that naturally tend to tend to occur if we do if we are a barrier of our emotions there's i'm aware of some research that's looking at an looking at a correlation 
between emotional trauma and early in life and particular autoimmune conditions, things like uh, um, multiple sclerosis, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus. So wh- in a sense, what you, you f- in one, one bit of research, what they found is when they looked at individual immune cells, they found that there was an elevated threat biochemistry in the immune system in people who had experienced trauma early in life. And that elevated threat biochemistry was almost identical to the type of biochemistry that runs in someone with an autoimmune condition. There's an elevated threat response, so the body's attacking itself. Wow. So, so this is the type of thing that can now be tracked by science. Yeah, yeah. So, th- so there is science tracking these things. There is a correlation emer- seeming to emerge. It's not an absolute black and white. By no means what I'm saying now is the absolute answer to everything. I'm just pointing out some research. Mm. But there's also some correlation between things like arthritis and uh, that I'd read a while ago. And some people, not everyone again, it, it co- coupled with resentment and, and that, that kind of stuff. There's also a correlation between hostility, aggression, and a, a cardiovascular hardening of the arteries, cardiovascular disease, again, and also suppressed emotion with the thickness of tumors. Even people, a study found people with HIV AIDS, they found that immune function, even CD4 count, was related to whether they were openly gay or whether they were still in the closet. And wow. those who hadn't buried the, their their fears and being afraid to come out of the closet, those who were openly gay had a much higher CD4 immune count and the viral load was less. But the viral load was higher and their immune function was weaker in those who were still in the closet. Wow. And so that's about suppressed fear, suppressed emotion, but it was having an effect on viral load and on individual immune cells. Are there books that can they explain these correlations it, I, I, not, I, right I've pulled some of them what, my, my first book It's a Thought That Counts I pulled some of the correlations into one of the early chapters but there's a really good book I read recently called The Body Keeps the Score yeah I've heard of that okay yeah, that's what I was wondering and that that, yeah. that is very very good it's very yeah. focused on trauma yeah but it's a very very good book so it allows people if there are certain experiences in their life they might be able to equate that back to where yeah. the trauma has, has come from absolutely and I would also recommend James Pennybaker's book uh, on expressive writing that's a really uh-huh. good it's, it's quite releasing a, trauma it's quite a thin book for releasing trauma it's so practical and easy anyone I mean literally 15-20 minutes a day for four days and what are the three things you write about the feelings it, you write down what happened so you're thinking what about happened? a particular t- if it's a particular situation what happened yeah. how you felt yeah. how you feel now yeah. and how that's affected your life Okay. And that's Thanks just for. a guideline. It doesn't have to be those four things. That's really just okay. a guideline he offers to help people to get into how you f- into the the emotions yeah. of it. But if it's not a particular event, it might just be a general feeling. You can still express that feeling. Mm. But the key is that's just guidelines to help you to 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 focus what you're writing about to, that they found is helpful for people to get out how you actually feel and how it's really pissing you off now in your life and how damaging it is to your life right now and, and it's and that helps almost as a motivator to keep doing the work to get to deal with this mm. this this for me what comes to me when we're talking about all this is that i mean in the first in the first episode that we recorded we had a check-in where we all, all shared what we what we felt yeah. at just at a, a fairly basic level but 
you know, that stimulated a conversation, a really nice one that just flowed. And we all sort of got to know each other in sort of a 10 minute conversation just about how we felt. We got to learn about each other. You know, then we get to connection, which, which is basically what we created and how healthy that is. Um, Dr. Chatterjee, who's, who's yeah. you know, a huge one of a doctor who often talks about all the, you know, the aids to, to, to help our mental health, but actually something that is so rarely talked about he's in, in his words is connection and yeah. so th- there's there's another thing if you share your feelings it brings connection it allows people in my language mm. to, to really see you you yeah. know it's not you're not just hearing their news and their gossip you, you're really getting to feel who they are and that's yeah. what happens when you when someone shares their emotions you feel them yeah. a bit more don't you and the yeah, connection do. exists is there is there science around the 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 experience would we touch on this last time but the, the experience of of connection and the, and the vibrations of energy that you send to each other that leads you to connect deeper or how am i am i going on a tangent here and hoping no, for no I, I think you're absolutely what, what i found in my experience and i'm not sure about what science has, has looked into this but what i can maybe try and qualify it a bit from my own experience is i feel the more willing i am to be honest the more emotional i become mm. and, and and this is a funny thing but i cry much more often now than i ever did mm. because i'm willing to be more honest with myself and I'm willing to be more honest with people mm. in a way that, as a man, I would never have done 10, 20 years ago. Mm. But I find that as I make a decision just to say it, just be honest, I, I cry more. But that's a good thing. Even when I think about it at other times, and I don't mean wailing, openly wailing, I mean my eyes fill up more often. Even when I'm in the presence of of another male or or a, or a female just by being honest and what that does it gets me more in touch with myself but then the magic happens is the barriers come down i think there isn't really any barriers in between the consciousness of people we, we erect them mm. uh, and the barriers come down and in that moment you bond you connect with a person and if you want to make add a wee bit of science to that when you connect with a person it is exceedingly healthy you generate copious quantities of what I call the kindness hormone and I call it the kindness hormone because we know of stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol and the kindness hormone the main one is oxytocin nitric oxide is also one but it's not really a hormone but you know potato potato Hmm. Uh, but but that brings about in many systems of the body equal equal in strength but opposite in direction to the effects of stress so whatever you, whatever scientifically we know that stress does, caused by these stress hormones, the kindness hormone has equal strength, but it goes in the opposite directions. Of so stress increases blood pressure, the kindness hormone reduces blood pressure. Stress builds up inflammation in the arteries. The kindness hormone is an anti-inflammatory in the arteries. Stress actually weakens, the, slows down the rate of muscle regeneration after exercise or injury. The kindness hormone speeds it up. Recent research shows that it actually stimulates the production of stem cells transforming into muscle cells. So wow. it, so literally equal in magnitude, equal in strength, but opposite in direction. We produce that when we're honest, which allows us to connect with people. So I'm at meditation. Uh, for a long time, I did a meditation course and I still didn't really want to do it. It didn't, it didn't resonate with me until I actually discovered guided meditations. And then that something that talked to me. And finally, I started making progress with meditation. I think about three or four years after I originally did the course and someone guiding me through it, that was the difference for me. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I tried for so long to do it on my own. 
um, lying down in the living room on the living room floor, etc. All those types of things. And until I truly tried all avenues, and, and I stumbled across uh, guided meditation, and now we have the Mind Detox app to guide us through our meditations. It really kind of helps us get to the place where we need to be or want to be in that moment. And I'd highly recommend it. It's, it's a minefield out there, isn't it, to try and find the right tool for you? And I think we have. Uh, so if you if you want to check it out, it's called the Mind Detox app, and it's on the App Store and on Google Play and, and it hopefully really help you get to that place. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Stress is a major, major health concern for us yeah. right now. So if, if, if kindness is, is working in the opposite effect and a similar strength, or it's opposite direction, same strength, yeah. then that is a mega powerful tool. It's mega. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, now I'm going on that tangent. I forgot what I was going to say about the, the, other, the, the other bits. I was but, speaking um, to a big company. I, I, I've done a lot of corporate speaking recently because CEOs are really interested not in just managing stress, but let's generate the opposite effects. Yeah. So kindness is becoming really, really interesting to... And, and that thing, I'm finding that all of a sudden. That's amazing. More, more kindness in the corporate environment Absolutely. would be amazing. Yeah. But it's almost, it's, it's not necessarily, well, I'm, 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 I'm guessing here, but in some cases, kindness can be seen as weakness. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the corporate environment can be that. In actual fact, that's not the perception that they seem to carry. So I, th- I think some people can carry that, but I, 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 I lay that to rest a little yes. bit by, by pointing out the health benefits of how it works by reducing blood pressure as an anti-inflammatory muscle regeneration, all these positive things that are very, very important. And suddenly it leaves your mind any notion that kindness is weakness because mm. it's a very empowering thing. It's a very health-giving thing. Who would, who, would, who would not grasp at the chance? 
I think the thing with it is that if you're yeah. kind, you can be perceived as as uh, soft, soft, and yeah. if you're soft, you can be walked over. Yeah. But the thing with it is that if you can be kind and strong, yeah, you know, have know your boundaries yeah. and be kind. And if someone is receptive to that, great. But then they overstep the mark, and you're brave enough to be able to say, yeah. "Hey, look, I'm kind. Yeah. I really want to help you, but just in a really kind way." That yeah. that wasn't on. Yeah. Um. And, and really appreciate it if we can try and look and do things differently next yeah. time. Then you're laying down that boundary. Then you can continue to be kind, yeah. but still without your boundaries being crossed. Yeah. But people, but that that doesn't feel natural to people, is it? It's like if you're kind, you have to be soft. If you're yeah. strong, you're not kind. Yeah, um, and that, that's what I'm. I, I mean, I think I partially meant earlier that we're feeling our way through in the dark in life, and we're we're going through our lives, and we're we're just trying to we're learning. But based on people's feedback, based on people's perceptions, and we're learning all the time about, you know, is it soft? Do people perceive this as soft? Am I just going to do it anyway? Do I need boundaries? Blah, blah, blah. And we're learning all the time. And I don't think there's too much of a one-size-fits-all. But what I I find sometimes is do what you can, the best you can, be the best person you can, also be aware of the environment you're in, uh, and you might have to just take baby steps and do it a little bit at a time and a little, you know, you know, put the word kindness on the water co- on the water cooler. That could be your first step. You don't have to go and int- talk to people. You don't have to go and, can I help you today? You can just put the word kind, be kind or something on the water cooler. Yeah. Step one and yeah. let that permeate into people's consciousness over the next couple of weeks and then see what happens. Go from there. Yeah. If you're in an environment where kindness is perceived as soft. Yeah. Or just ask three people a day how they are. Yeah. Or something, you know, just yeah. just ba- basic steps that yeah. who knows where that can lead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's lovely. Um, so I feel like kindness is 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 so integral into into all this. Mm. But that's just really the the, the, the kind of this, there are so many different facets, aren't there, to, to yes. what the mind can do to yeah. to the body. Kindness being a big one. Connection we've we've touched on. Um, what else is science proving? To I don't put again, I'm putting you on the spot here, but because there are, there are lots of facets to what our, our mind can, how our mind can can help our body, right? Yeah, and these are some of the ways. But what what else, where else can we go with this? In terms of the physical effect on the body, yeah. Or yeah. Sh- should we look at what how it can negatively impact it? Yeah, well, well, negatively impact. You know, focusing on if you were if you were to put your attention consistently on stuff you hate, on people that bother you, that annoy you, and and ruminate and dwell on stuff that's not working then that creates psychological stress but that has physical effects Mm. because that produces stress hormones it also increases blood pressure it weakens immune function so there's a number of different physical effects and as we know that sometimes in some people that could lead to trapped emotions so there's a lot of negative side of it but one of the the really positive things I, I talk about with the mind body connection is actively using it on purpose to alter, improve, or heal something in the body, because in many ways, your brain doesn't distinguish between whether something's actually happening or whether you're imagining mm. it happening. Mm. So research at Harvard, for example, found that if people play, volunteers played a sequence of notes with their five fingers on a piano and did it every day for five days and they looked at brain scans, the region of the brain connected to the finger muscles had significantly grown, like a muscle. They don't call it muscle growth in the brain, they call it neuroplasticity, but for all intents and purposes, it's the same thing. Neuroplasticity kind of is a brain's version of muscle growth. But here's the thing, a separate group of people just imagined playing the notes, 
He didn't actually play them. They imagined moving their fingers in the same way. They call it kinesthetic imagery. Imagining the fe- how does it feel to Im- imagine the feeling of of using your fingers to plunk the notes. And amazingly, when they did this for the same five days, the exact same region of their brain had grown in size by the exact same amount. Wow. And there was no difference at all. There's a 97% correlation, so there's really no difference between those who had played the notes with their fingers and those who had played the notes in their mind. Do you think that that could almost be correlated to the fact that actually when you're practising playing, it's not so much the practising of playing, but it's the feeling you get from playing? That 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 definitely plays into it an enormous amount. But but this this technique, if this knowledge is, is applied in so many ways, in fact, most elite athletes use mental rehearsal. Yeah, you see it now, don't you? Yeah, they use mental rehearsal. And armed with the knowledge that the mental rehearsal is actually affecting the functioning of their muscles and the way that their muscles are strengthened, we now know that imagining moving muscles and lifting weights, for example, increases physical strength. And there's lots of research on that. So we're saying we don't need to go to the gym anymore. We can just lie on the sofa and, and visualise our gym session. We don't need to practice. You would have to oh. do it for the same duration of time that you were going. If you were going to the gym for half an hour or an hour, yeah. you'd have to do an hour in your head. Yeah. So okay. you might as well just go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, but you don't need to sweat then. You can just no, relax on the on the yeah. sofa. But, but the point is, by doing that, though, you do actually generate uh, muscle growth and you, you, know, increase, so you generate increased strength. But you also... For some people, depending on the vividness of your visualization, you also increase respiration and heart rate. Wow. Yeah, depending on how well, how much you've practiced that in that physical exercise in the past. So you're, it's almost like your body remembers and it's become so vivid that you literally get many of the same physiological effects. But it's also been the same technique's been applied to helping people who've had a stroke rehabilitate and gain movement faster. Yeah, but even well, Joe Dispenza with his with his back, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah, and he he visualised he, he visualized. the fusing of the of the discs, was yeah, it, or in his yeah. back, yeah, yeah, and he did that every single day, hours a day, because he had nothing else to do, and he was told, I mean, from being told that you probably never walk again or with great difficulty to being like fit and healthy through repetitive visualization and that changed the course of his life totally yeah and so do you have any visualizations that you could share that some of the things that you've brought alive or tried to manifest or or open your heart to manifest in in, in a similar kind of way yeah i i've done lots of types i, I am i live in dunblane mm. famous for andy murray mm. the tennis and jamie murray the tennis players yes. and i i started i only started playing tennis three years ago i was the second worst tennis player in dunblane <laughs> according to league positions really? yeah for the whole of the first year of playing <laughs> playing in the league i joined the leagues even though i was crap at tennis you weren't visualizing your tennis match were well you? i started uh-huh. i started visualizing my serve <laughs> right and i i did a four-week experiment okay learning to do what's called a kick serve, four weeks experiment, because my serve was terrible. It was just getting attacked by all the players. And to cut a long story short, four weeks of visualization later, I won the league. No way. It was the fourth division. I'm now in the second division. I've moved up through the divisions now. And my goal is to get into the first division in Dunblane as well this year. But it's visualization that I use from time to time where there's a particular shot or movement that I just need to repetitively get clear. And what what I know that's happening as well as that mental rehearsal, is it's changing, it's conditioning my muscles and changing the way they move so that they're moving in the way that they need to move to obtain that result. So how does that visualisation look? Can you bring it alive as much as you, you know, for the average person sitting home? Well, how do, what when, they, how when, I'm, when I'm imagining serving, I just imagine serving 10 times to one side of the court and then 10 times to the other side of the court. And that's pretty much what I did like 
loads and loads of times, every single or five or six times a week for a month. But do you see you doing the sew exactly how you want yeah, it to do? Exactly how I want it to. But what I'm, but what you're particularly paying attention to is the movement of your muscles. So yeah. unlike normal visualization, where people just visualize the end result, what you really, what you've got to do with these visualizations is visualize the movement of your muscle. How does that feel as the arm, for example, comes over the top and hits the ball? It's the it's the mechanical movement of the muscle. It's the mechanical movement of the muscle that the brain processes is real even when you're imagining it. So the brain won't process so much where the ball's going, but the brain will process where you're you're imagining your arm going. Mm. So I use the same thing to improve my forehand and my backhand, particular shots that I feel people take advantage of in the game. I thought, right, I'm going to get that. So I mental practice hundreds of times until the next time someone tries to take advantage of a weakness in me, they suddenly get the ball coming back in a completely new way because I've visualised it relentlessly. Wow. So I, I, that, I just think that's incredible, and I, and I know yeah. it's coming very alive in in, in sport now, and I, I think particularly golf. You know, I'm a big golf fan, yeah. and um, what I find this is really stupid. It bugs me so much, but every now and then I'll I'll I'm, I'll be trying to practice something that's right. Let's really get into this. Let's look at the perfect swing. How does it feel? Let's get back in this and hit a beauty straight down the middle of the fairway, and then suddenly my brain sort of skews the visualization, and it just mm. sees me hitting a massive slice. Yeah, it yeah. wants to interfere. I'm yeah. Like no, I don't. That's not. I don't want to see that. Stop that. Yeah. Like. The, the, Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, yeah. The, the key is to do the mental practice before you get to the the course. Totally. But I, that's what I mean when I'm doing the mm. mental practice. I'm then my, my brain, something creeps into my brain and takes the visualization well, wrong. A little thing that you can do, your brain, there's two, there's two types of stress. One's called distress and one's called eustress. Distress is what we tend to call stress. But psychologists say there's another type called eustress, and one version of eustress is lightheartedness and laughter. Distress and eustress cannot coexist in the brain at the same time. It's like a coin, you flip a coin, it will be a head or a tail, unless it lands on its end, but <laughs> how often no. does that happen? It'll be a head or a tail. Yeah. So it's distress or eustress. So one of the little techniques you can use when the mind goes into that stress and starts to show you the wrong result is do a silly little dance in the mm. moment. Even if you're just imagining doing the dance, something that makes you smile. Yes. in the moment yeah. and it just puts your brain into eustress rather than distress and you'll find most of the time that that, that competing image of the ball skewing away disappears in that moment wow so is this is this are we talking so the, an exciting thing for me now that's coming up is, is virtual reality in terms of helping people overcome challenges yeah if we can create virtual reality that allows people to see very clearly so they're not even having to conjure up the visualization themselves it's being presented to them yeah. in a way that they want then that could help transfer into to removal of the challenge. Absolutely, as well. And that what that also does is it activates a a, a, pa, a a circuit in the brain called the mirror neuron system that mirrors what you're seeing. So it depends on the virtual reality. If the virtual reality is being aware of your own body, then it works like visualization. But if the virtual reality is watching it happening by someone else, then it activates a similar circuit called mirror neuron system, which also improves movement they call it action observation so by observing someone doing something repetitively your brain will eventually process it as if you're the one who's doing it repetitively so if you've got if you've lost the ability let's say to move your legs and you put some virtual reality glasses on that allowed you just to look down and and as if you're looking at your legs and they look like your legs and now they're beginning to move yeah then that will help stimulate the 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 system into absolutely and especially especially there's virtual reality simulators 
the first one was done actually a number of years ago by in Graz University in Austria. They got they published a paper called Walking from Thought, and they got a, a, a tetraplegic, put them in a virtual reality simulator, put the, a brain helmet on that would measure brain waves, and that and they wired the the they wired the helmet into an avatar. And they got an avatar of themselves standing upright. And as they imagined moving the right leg, it activates a particular brain region that was read as an instruction by the computer to make the avatar take a step forward with his right leg. So the person was able to control a character walking down a street. They called it walking from thought. And that technology has been developed really significantly now uh, to, to create and begin to create seamless prosthetic devices uh, and and even exoskeletons that are that even the military are looking at for the application of exceptional strength, having an exoskeleton that you control with your mind. Mm. You but know, the point is, fundamentally, we've all got this tool inside of us yeah, already. It's only possible because your brain can't tell the difference between whether something is happening or whether you're imagining it. Yeah, happening. And that's just amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. When we think about the opportunities yeah. that that can. That can bring up. I mean, I'm thinking. I've always said my whole personal development journey started around sex, so I'm thinking mm. of all the possibilities that 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 can bring. I guess my my next question on this will be: How long would we need to visualise for it to have an impact? Right. I think that varies from person to person and from situation to situation, and it also depends on the person's personality. Uh, and, and let me give you an example. When it comes to body things, it, there's neuroplasticity, i.e., muscle growth in the brain, occurs relatively quickly. And tipping points can occur between, you know, three weeks to, you know, two, three months. It depends on what you're trying to do. But I think your people apply visualization to life changes and relationships and all numbers of different things. Uh, and it's what a challenge that comes up. And, I, and I'm very aware of this because I, I get challenged with it as well, is sometimes the more visualization you do the more energy you put into something if it's something you desperately want then we end up getting overly emotionally attached to it mm. and that then creates the opposite effect because the dominant feeling you have the emotional attachment is coming from a fear if it doesn't a fear of it not working ah. so the dominant thought and feeling begins to become it's not working here i am doing this visualization with my mind but the dominant emotion which is actually more powerful is it's not working what if it doesn't work right. so you have the mental images the intention which is strong but the emotion underneath what if it doesn't work i don't think this is working and there's a stress a psychological stress there so what we often get is the experience in life of two steps forward two steps back two steps forward two steps back two steps forward three steps back mm. and we to and fro like that and a lot of this comes from being overly emotionally attached it's, it's a difficult one for people and I, and I find I struggle with this myself as well sometimes you find that some people it's better not to visualize if you're the kind of person who gets overly emotionally attached and when I say emotionally attached is you just so want this to happen yeah and if you're the kind of person who gets overly attached to that and worrying about what it whether it doesn't happen then maybe visualization isn't the right thing and so many people find it easier to take a more spiritual approach and it's the spiritual approach is if it, if something is the right thing that it'll always happen these kind of things affirmations like everything always ha works out for the best for me uh, and both techniques are as good as each other but but what you choose 
is related to the kind of person you are, whether you get overly invested in something happening in your life does that make sense it does yeah. yeah so i kind of i kind of see it as almost surrendering you know so if, so if, if you but i guess right where am i going with this where am i starting so much to talk about so with the visualization if you're doing it from the right place i.e not fear and you, it's not coming from a place of shit i really don't want this to not happen and instead it's a it's a it's a it's a place of love which says feel how amazing that would be how beautiful an experience it would be if if i could serve really well like mm. this and how like what uh, how great that getting that ball down there and mm. how, how we're feeling how flow i would be in my body as i hit that ball and you can see the ball going off da, 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 whatever and it comes if it comes from that place then then we should be okay absolutely but yeah. if we're like god i keep losing i need to whack this ball yeah. down there and if i don't do it i'm going to keep losing this i've got to do it yeah. forcing it almost yeah that's not going to work yeah it's, that's right it's when it becomes forced yeah and, and that could be something in the body or that could be in trying to create a particular situation in your life once it it, it starts to feel like it's forced yeah. and there's a fear there that it's not going to work or what if it doesn't work then that seems to increase the force people put into it yeah okay. uh, and and that creates the stress so what we get yeah. this two steps forward two steps back type of phenomena and that's that's applicable in so many areas of life as well if you try and force something if you then you stop being in flow yeah, you know, there's so many things. I mean, I was thinking public speaking. If you try and overly rehearse and force something out, whereas when you stand naturally and you just sort of, hey, I'm here and I'm just going to talk and it's going to be in flow. That's yeah. you know much more authentic, yeah, right? And absolutely. finding that sweet spot of surrender was one of my big words for 2019. Um, and, and I guess we'll lead that into the opposite of of, of what we just talked about in terms of, of trying to force something. It's just sitting back and saying, do you know what? I can't control a lot of things in my life. I'm just going to s- surrender. I know that uh, everything has worked out so far in my life. I'm still here. I'm still alive, and it's been okay. So let's just stop trying to force this whole this situation. Yeah. Take all the stories out. Take all the all the all the trauma yeah, almost yeah. that I've created yeah. around this, and just let it be. Yeah. And is there space to sometimes visualize, sometimes surrender, and to play yeah. with both and to yeah. see? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's a there's a happy medium there's a middle ground i i try to practice surrendering and just trusting sometimes you have to remind yourself that you know there is a flow of well-being there's a i i think or maybe this is something i i try to tell myself but again a lot of life comes down to what you believe and i i believe that the right things usually end up happening mm. uh, and so Oftentimes when I'm trying to create an outcome, I surrender and I trust and I try to. It's not always easy. Again, it depends on how emotionally invested you are in something. But I I try to, the best I can, trust that what is ultimately best will work out and that perhaps there are, you know, guides, you know, grandparents who've passed away ancestors etc and even angels and stuff god the universe whatever looking out for me and sometimes i think just thinking and imagining that there is something or someone there i find it gives a little bit of comfort i know this is moving into an area that science you might dish a wee bit but i don't really care most people i know derive some degree of comfort from knowing that a deceased parent or grandparent or a guide or an angel is looking out for them and if that's what you have to do, if that helps you, and it absolutely helps me, and if that helps you in, I, I guess, surrendering to that which is best, 
then absolutely damn it go go ahead and do it and don't care what anyone says mm. but I, I'm a scientist and I do that mm. I pray like that to these angels and beings because it gives me comfort and it gives me comfort to believe that, that someone or something has my back and is looking out for the best for me and is guiding me towards things that are ultimately the best for me and that is that yes that's a belief system Science can't say yes or no. I, I kind of actually do believe that there is definitely something there, 100% certain. So it's also a more liberating way to live for me. Yeah. So one of my big things was with Surrender in 2019 was I'm going to show up and do the best I can and the results will be what they are. Yeah. But I can't control a lot of the results. Yeah. But what I can control is, is how I show up. Absolutely. So I'm just going to do my thing. And there's always more, so I'm just going to find that healthy balance of where I feel satisfied, yeah. proud of how, of how I showed up, and and that's that. And the results are going to be what they are. They're going to they're going to work out for the best. You know, yeah. it is going to be, and that's how I live. And yeah. that's cool. It, it, I did a retreat last year, and and um, a big emphasis at the end of the the, the retreat was to well, not big emphasis, but part of the journey was at the end of it. We asked everyone to do an expression from their heart, so a song or a dance or some kind of expression. And it was completely irrelevant whether they're any good at it. It wasn't about the result. It wasn't mm. don't really care about how you how you sing or how you yeah. dance, how you express yourself. It's just about showing up. The result will be mm. what it is. That is a liberating way to live because suddenly you give yourself the freedom to try everything that that within you you want to try and yeah. try things that interest you. Yeah. That so often we stop ourselves from going there because we're so fixated on the result that we're yeah. worried we're going to do it badly, and then that's going to reflect on us as a person. Mm. Screw that! Let's yeah. just surrender. Let's just—if we want to do it, let's just touch, t- turn it up, give it a go. The result will be what it is. Absolutely, freedom, yeah. freedom, yeah, and, and excitement and yeah. spontaneity, yeah, and all these beautiful things, these beautiful energies that can mm. flow through us. Yeah, yeah. It's if you can work out some science around that for me as well, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll write that down. <laughs> no, but that—that's—that's that's a great example of being less dependent on what people think. Yeah, and there's, there's freedom in being less dependent upon what people think. Yes, and then you just do your thing. Yeah, and and if your thing involves some degree of even wishing the best for people, then damn it, that's a good thing. Okay, we've got to get into this quickly. I don't know how long we've been chatting for, but we've got, got to get. Um, so that's a, it's actually a really nice place to end because because we've talked about so much. But this sense of wishing people well and thinking mm. good things. Is there anything, is that to do with sending vibrations of energy to them? Or how does that work? Yeah. Because I've got my own thing that I'd love to talk to you so about. I, I would say that this is this is probably one of my main spiritual practices. Okay. Is try to think the best of people, regardless. Uh, and try to, and if I'm really honest, everyone I think about, if I'm really, really honest, I feel a, a, a sense of warmth and affection for and I think that's partly a product of the practice but it's also a product of a, a time I don't know if I've ever told you this before I, I lost my dog he was two years old to cancer uh, it's actually about f- God, five years ago now and we tried everything to save his life and really bonded and connected and when he passed away I was left with something I hadn't noticed before it's like the love that I developed, it opened me right up. That was a turning point in my life where my heart just opened and it never closed. 
It wow. just burst right open. So that it was meant to be. It was meant to be, and it literally burst right open. It that's the word, my heart just burst right open. And the love and affection that I'd had for Oscar never, ever went away. It just settled now and everything. So it's like it was so infinite, they just settled. And now, ever since that day, I when I look at someone, and even looking at you right now, Ben, I, I have this background gently effervescent simmering affection for you and for everyone even people are passing the street it's always there a background gently effervescent gently bubbling simmering just background sense of affection yes sometimes clouds get in the way and my mind's obscured and sometimes it increases and decreases in intensity but it never goes away it's always there and that's become part of my spiritual practice is is making an effort to try to intentionally think nice things and I, I believe that on a really deep and profound level, we're all interconnected. And you know, scientists talk to this thing called entanglement, where two particles, if you separate them by huge distances, they're, they're always connected. And if you ping one of them, the other one feels the same thing. I believe that the physical world is an expression of the world of consciousness. And this is me moving into another realm, but this is what I absolutely believe. And that the, the, the rules of the physical world are mirrors of the rules of consciousness. I, I think that that which you are, your consciousness, isn't inside your skull. And there's a lot of scientists and philosophers moving to the idea that maybe consciousness is out there. Maybe that which you are is actually the whole universe. But it just feels like you're your body. Because you have a lifetime of experience of knowing that if I bash my knee, I feel it in my knee. So the more we feel our own footsteps and and be aware of our own breath, the more we identify with the body as this is who I am. Mm. But in actual fact, people have had near-death experiences, they'll tell you that I am the universe. You are the universe. So maybe if we start there, and I start there, and I say, therefore, the physical world it, it come is secondary. It comes from consciousness. It's not that neurons in the brain and biochemistry creates consciousness, but it's the other way around. Turn, the, turn it upside down. Consciousness is primary. It comes first. And if that's the case, then entanglement that we see between particles is really just a projection or a reflection of entanglement between people. And a good analogy I use is imagine a spider's web and a web that connects everyone. But instead of physical strands, it's strands of consciousness. And so there's a web that connects us and there's strands of consciousness that come, they're thicker between certain people when the emotional connection is strong, when the emotional distance between people are strong, uh, sorry, when the emotional distance is, is short, i.e. there's a strong connection, then the thickness of the strands is really thick and it's thinner between you and perhaps other people who you have less of a bond with, but we're all connected. And how does a spider know that a fly's trapped in its web? It feels the vibrations. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe the whole universe feels all of your vibrations of your thoughts and your ideas and your hopes and your dreams. So I, I take it as a personal responsibility to try to hold people in the highest esteem I can, even people who've maybe wrong said something unkind or behaved in a certain way. I try my absolute best, even if it takes me a couple of minutes in my head, I've just got to find the thought. I try my absolute best to return to a place of warmth and affection for that person because I know that we're all connected and I, I would like to the best I can put out vibes that are making a difference even if it's just mentally wow yeah. isn't that incredible but that's my main spiritual practice I would say that's the thing I do most often
Yeah. But I don't think about it because I just do it automatically now. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm I'm just verbalizing now and pict- picture wise that this is kind of what I do, but it's it's more of an automatic thing I that I do that. now. But it means that I I tend not to harbor any negativity or resentment to people, which is unhelpful energy inside it's your body anyway. Anyway. So whether this is right or wrong, we know that much for sure. I'm not right or wrong, but whether there's science behind what you just said or whatever, whether people think it's woo-woo or whatever, what we do know is that resentment, I mean, I love love the quote, resentment is the poison that we take hoping to kill someone else. It sits as unhelpful energy. So what's the point in it? Exactly. What does it do? In a similar kind of way, and and I know we're going to have to wrap this up shortly, but um, in a way less dignified or um uh sort of spiritual scientific or however we see it the way i treat judgment or or negative energy inside of of my mind is that when i used to be negative around uh, think negatively of people uh i used to interpret that i get that back from from people so i i would judge people in the gym or in whatever in a coffee shop or whatever and think oh what they doing wearing that or what you know why are they so moody? Or what did it? All these little things, like, you know, just bring that negative energy. But the result was that every time I walked into the gym, or every time I walked into a coffee shop, or whatever, I would interpret it that people would be looking at me in a similar kind of mm. way, and that meant that I would try and pander to everybody mm. and try and please them, yeah. and I lost who I was as a result. So I was constantly mm. living in that space, yeah. which is really unhelpful again, and and you lose your authenticity. You lose your self-love. You lose. Mm. There's so many knock-on effects. But for me now, in, in adopting similar practice to what you say, where where I look around and try and see, not judge people, but to see everyone is living their journey, and that they've got a whole history of different environments and different experiences that have led them to where they are, and they're doing the best with what they've got, regardless of whether that's good or bad. Mm. Then it's freedom because yeah. I'm in the same space. Yeah. I put myself in the same space and I walk in and I and I and I just inadvertently expect them to see me in the same yeah. kind of light. So yeah. I'm just a product of everything that I've been through and I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. And we're all just on our journey. Yeah. And that's a, a much more liberating space for me to live in in the same way. Yeah. And um I guess the, the, the nice part of, of that is is that you know we all got to find our own little ways. We've all got to tap into these this space and try and learn from amazing people yeah. like you and then take the little bits that we can that can feed us with a positive energy that can mm. feed us into different healthy ways and do the best with what what we know and, yeah. and live the life that we can and yeah. we're never going to complete it but it's fun listening and learning to yeah. all this stuff and just learning little habits like try you know suddenly if you just adopt a change of attitude in the next month that february you're going to be really kind to everybody you're going to go out of your way to ask how people are and you're going to look them in the eye and listen to their answer and see if there's anything that you can do for them as simple as that and see what happens to you in that month and that can change the rest of your life yeah who knows what leads from there who knows what effect it has on, on the people around you yeah. and the people around them you know times five yeah. you know and all that and yeah. and i think this is the beautiful thing and, and there are so many skeptics in the in in the world there's getting fewer i believe but around this stuff, and I say that because I was one for the first 30 years of my mm. life. But what's, what I think is brilliant about you is is you're able to supply all, all of that information, but with some science behind it. So, you know, skeptics usually are the ones who want scientific proof. And mm. it's like, well, hang on a minute. Uh, Dr. David Hamilton can give you that and uh, just read one of his books uh, or one of your upcoming books. Mm. And um, uh, life will look very different. Oh, and thanks for that, Ben. No, no. I, I, you know, I just think you're an amazing man. And I think... Um, I love everything you're about and everything you bring and 
I love having conversations. I love the fact that, that my journey has brought me in line with you and got the opportunity mm. to sit with you and have conversations mm. like this. So. Well, I, I would echo that right back at you. Oh. I'd say all the same things. It's, it's an absolute privilege also getting to know you as a person. You know, mm. I feel like we really, really connect and we've got a lot to, a lot to talk about. Hence, this, this podcast <laughs> probably goes lo- longer than maybe we intended it to do. But, it's, you know, you're a great guy. And I, I really admire what you're doing in the world because you're, you're using your voice and your platform to help a vast amount of people uh, to, to open up and to feel and, and, and therefore to heal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's exactly it. And let's keep doing our thing. And yeah. I hope there's many more conversations to come. I'm sure there will be. Thanks, yeah. David. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure too. So there we go. One of my favourite people in the world. Um, what a privilege. I say this all the time, but I feel so, just so privileged to have these conversations. You know, sitting there with David, getting to learn from him. Uh, he's just a, a foundation of knowledge, of scientific knowledge. And um, it's really special to have these conversations, really, really special. Uh, he's got a beautiful heart, he's got an amazing mind, and I'm just grateful to have that conversation. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, both the episodes. Uh, I think we went a little bit deeper into that second one. But I hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, if you want to share or like or whatever it is all the things that you can do on podcasts then that's another kind act i'll always say it um so thank you um and then check us out on instagram the naked professors underscore podcast and then twitter with tmp podcast and um yeah let us know what you think please and share the love with david what an incredible man and we'll be back next tuesday with our last in this series but we will be back very soon i promise we won't be leaving it late we'll be back with series three and maybe who knows maybe it'll be some time for some women again we've gone all in on men but um yeah maybe it's time we share the love again do you ever suffer from panic attacks or have anxiety and it's those are the questions that I feel a lot of people uh, across the UK and across the world could answer yes to at the moment, couldn't they? Anxiety was a big one for me, for sure, and um, I just didn't know what it was. I didn't didn't know how to help myself. I didn't know why it was there. And um, yeah, the Mind Detox app that is our sponsor now uh, has got a free panic attack and anxiety meditation, guided meditation that will really help you understand that and change your state for for, for the better. I think if you if you haven't tried this already, go onto the App Store, go onto Google Play and check it out. It's called the Mind Detox app, and uh, like like me and Ben would say, it's it's helped us, and we hope we can help you too.